This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and today I'm joined by Vanessa Thomas in Ottawa. Liz, I think that's where you are. Yep, I'm in Ottawa, Canada. So how are things going in your bubble? Uh, Today it's sunny and beautiful out. I I managed to sneak outside with my brand new puppy and do some gardening in front of my housing cooperative. So today has been a great day. I think I have a sunburn. I can't ask for anything more. How was the winter? The winter in Ottawa? Yeah. Have, have you ever been to Ottawa, Sam? No. <laughs> uh, this year's winter was uh, less terrible than last year's winter, which means that we had uh, only a couple of instances of freezing rain, followed by huge jumps of snow, followed by beautiful sunshine and heat, followed by more freezing rain and snow. <laughs> and it lasted a solid six months. So it was a good winter for everybody here. Uh, <laughs> could have lasted longer. Thankfully, it didn't. So as you were coming out of that was when you were going into lockdown. That must have been a bit of a, you know, the tension. This is the time to get out. No, we're going back in. I think this is uh, definitely part of why people have been so frustrated and so vocal about reopening up uh, different provinces in the country. They spent most of the winter shuttered in and uh, were frustrated with it and now want freedom and and fun in the sun, um, despite the fact that there are many good reasons not to pursue that at this very minute. You're in a housing cooperative. Is that the size of the bubble or you're in, in an individual bubble within that? I am in an individual bubble within that, or at least I was up until about uh, a week and a half ago. And then uh, our province, where I'm living in Ontario, uh, started to loosen some of the restrictions a little bit. Uh, And so I I invited a friend over and a friend now is part of my little bubble and uh, within my own apartment sort of space, whereas... I can go still socialize with people in the co-op, keeping six meters apart or six, six feet apart, sorry, um, and, and trying not to stay indoors with them, but outdoors we can socialize quite, quite casually. Yes, I was going to ask how your bubble has been, what your bubble has been like. Oh, it's been good. We had, um, there's three of us here, um, and because Leslie's daughter is a nurse so she's essential and her husband is a journalist so he's essential so we've had a an essential lucy their <laughs> two-year-old as well has been here four days a week oh wow so um it's been it, it, it's been it's been really good and we've been able to we live in sawyer's bay which is between the harbor and mihiwaka the hills around us so we can legitimately stay in our neighborhood and go for quite you know reasonable walks up into the hill um so that that's been really good as soon as they dropped down to level three we're allowed to swim in the harbor 
Um, it's not very warm. It's 10 degrees Celsius in the harbour at the moment. So, uh, but we, I just handed it up and I did uh, 74 kilometres in the harbour during level three. Um, so it's good to be getting back into the into the swimming pool. I was, I was starting to get a little bit over the cold. Um, and, and, and so wait, your parks weren't shut down at all? The hills behind you were not restricted access no, at any point? No. Okay. No. Oh, wow. That's, um, that's you couldn't you couldn't do anything that you had to, that you would be likely to get rescued from, and it had to be local. Okay. So, you know, if it's within your suburb, then then that's okay. But the the parks themselves weren't shut down. They did shut down the the playgrounds um, because the mm. the equipment would have to be sanitised. That changed at level two, although they're recommending that people be careful with that sort of stuff. My teaching and research is entirely remote anyway. So, so you were fine. So didn't it, well, it's it's quite different as it wore on. The difference between can go work at home and have to work at home, mm-hmm. and that the, the have to work at home started to to wear a a bit thin. Um, but our department has decided that there's no reason for us to go back in the medium term anyway. So. Uh, we're we're staying at we're staying remote. So, does that mean that you have to switch all of your teaching online? All my teaching was online anyway. Long term. Oh, oh, perfect. Okay, all of it. Uh, yeah. Wow. So that's, yeah, well, that's so, unusual. So my, that's unique. My well, our teaching is entirely professional practice, so it's entirely working with people in their practice. Anyway, um, right. so, so while there are a few, while there are a few people that happen to be in Dunedin, we kind of treat them as remote that happened to be a bit closer anyway. I'm a little envious of you because one of the classes that I teach is online. And so, I mean, it was, it was fine. It actually ended by the time the full lockdown settled in in Canada. And then uh, the other course that I was teaching uh, was not online. And I had a whopping two days to transition it from an in-person three hour long graduate student class uh, to an online three hour long graduate student class. And that's not an easy transition. I'm going to put one of your music choices just there, Florent Volant. Is 
So you've been doing some teaching, and some of that's come from home. You also work at the your, your your day job is at the office of the Privacy Commissioner. Is that right? Yes, the office of the Privacy Commissioner of Canada, because we have provincial level Privacy Commissioners as well. So, and what do you do there? Uh, I am an IT research analyst there. So right now, I'm using all of the technical skills that I acquired during many years of doing research in academia and also uh, working in industry. And I am trying to figure out whether or not systems break our privacy laws, uh, usually by doing sort of security research about them. Because privacy and security are two separate things, but they also are interconnected. Uh, and often insecure systems break our privacy rules. So we've had a lot of contact tracing work on the go uh, in the past couple of weeks transitioning to working from home full-time while also frantically trying to make sense of all of the contact tracing uh, apps that were quickly being put together and proposed was uh, quite a fun challenge. It's an interesting balance space. isn't it because the whole point of contact tracing is must challenge the privacy laws. Yes and then you add on to that hastily put together tech <laughs> solutions and you just got a real fun fun space to work in. <laughs> Did you have one released in New Zealand? Was there a contact tracing app there? Dave, the government one still isn't released. Um, and for a while, the media was obsessed by it. Where is this app? Why isn't it happening? Why isn't it happening? And the, um, the Jacinda and Ashley show, the one o'clock um, show we get every day, or we're getting every day with the Prime Minister and the Director General of Health, Ashley Bloomfeld, who is like our, our new folk hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were sort of like um, just batting those questions away, saying that's not the focus of what we're doing. We think we can do it with people. Um, and we, we can, you know, it, it's it's about people knowing who that they've 
seen, who that they've talked to, and us having the skills to be able to to trace them and and um, and contact them and, and and going from there. And that that seems to work. They put quite a lot of effort into the the clusters. They identified the individual clusters. And, mm. and worked very closely with them. So uh, there are a whole pile. Of, now we've gone to this level two and the the restaurants, anyone that's not a large, a large format retailer has to keep records of their customers. Oh, wow. So to go into a shop, you've got to either physically sign in and there's issues about the pen that you use to sign in um, mm. and or a, a an app and of course all the shops are using different apps of course um, standard, I <laughs> so um so it's and, and they're kind of saying this won't be used unless you authorize it so there's quite a lot of information in terms of the privacy about what information you're telling it but mm. because they haven't actually had to use it in anger there's less information about how that will be used that's not ideal nope that's not uh, what I want to hear. No, <laughs> I'm pretend I didn't hear that. In fact, yeah. oh gosh. <laughs> um, it could be that it's there in the fine print, but the when I, I was looking at one of the ones that, that the city council is using, uh, Ripple, uh, Ripple, um, and it's got lots of information about how to use it, and it kind of just says we value your privacy. This information won't be used unless you authorize it. And then no help at all about how you do that part. So I'm, I'm just wondering if that's will happen. You know, you don't need to know about that until they think that you need to be contact traced. And then it'll pop up and say, you're a potential person. You need to tell us this information, I think is how it's going to work. I'm not sure. And what I've found, uh, having been immersed in this space for the past nine weeks at this point, uh, is that every single system and every single app operates just ever so slightly differently, and every privacy policy looks a little bit unique, and and what they're actually going to do with your data is not clear in many cases. And for me, I, I just it's a recipe for very scary things to potentially happen. Uh, plus, it's not very effective from, from most of the research uh, that has been done. So um, it's it's definitely a, a challenging time in that space, but uh, I also feel very privileged to be able to work in it and to work at all, uh, because unlike uh, New Zealand, we still haven't allowed everybody to sort of go back to work. We still have essential and non-essential services and, and people who are allowed to work. So if you can work from home, you can do it, but a lot of people who can't are, are simply out of work. So. Uh, feeling very privileged. Let's hear from somebody who is back at work, Tahu McKenzie, who yeah. is back at work at Orokanui Eco Sanctuary. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu McKenzie. Kia ora koutou na mihi aroha nui kia koutou ko tahu I hope you're all having the best day. Beautiful, amazing superstars in your beloved universes and I really really hope that this time as we journey together into level two you're just finding so many new wonderful ways to be and feel and create and communicate and experience and learn and teach in this new consensus reality that we are co-evolving and of course as a beautiful triumph of nature's art we have been part of co-evolution on this planet for literally billions of years 
and the atoms and molecules that make up our bodies have been recycled over and over through a multitude of different life forms. And here we find ourselves now possessing of this miraculous consciousness. So we are nature perceiving itself and learning from itself more and more with each moment that passes. So what an exciting adventure. And I know for me, this last few weeks has just been an incredible emotional roller coaster and a wonderful learning journey and a profound voyage within. And so as I emerge from level four and level three, whilst I'm still working from home, I can just see so many ways that our new consensus reality is unfolding. And all of these skills that I know we've all been honing and developing and remembering are really coming into play. And of course, we're so lucky that not only do we have all these conditioned skills that societally we have been encouraged in, but we also have a suite of incredible biological skills up our sleeves. And these biological skills, of course, are not only found in us, but in all life in different ways. And the skills that I thought we could talk about today came to me while staring at a beautiful, peaceful, calm, flat sea. So beautiful and still and peaceful and calm. It's like a mirror that I started thinking, of course, about our love for mirrors and our love for learning and reflection in general and our love for being mirrors to each other and our love so much for learning that we have gone deeper and deeper into our physiology of our brain and the brains of our closest relations and we have named parts of our premotor cortex after mirrors because of course when we observe behavior in one another these parts of our brain fire up as though we were performing that behavior ourselves so we call these brain cells mirror neurons and they're a big part of how we learn and so, of course, at this time, we're really being asked to exercise those mirror neurons flat out because we're having to develop new ways of interacting, new ways of expressing our affection and our esteem for one another, new ways of sharing space, new ways of keeping ourselves and each other safe, and, of course, new ways of communicating and collaborating and creating together. And it's just so much learning for us all at once. But of course, as always, we're adapting so fast and we're being so flexible. In part, of course, because of these wonderful skills that we have evolved. So I thought it would be a really exciting opportunity for us to think about the kind of behaviours that we want to see mirrored around us. And the kind of behaviours that we want to mirror knowing that as we role model these behaviours and as we look for role models, our beautiful brain is right there loving us and supporting us to learn these new skills so fast and so unconsciously because of those mirror neurons. So it's really a very exciting time. And whilst I'm still working from home and producing lots of online resources, I know that Orokanui Eco Sanctuary is flourishing and I'm looking forward to returning there very soon. But when I do, again, I will be mirroring and modeling these new behaviors. And I'm really looking forward to enjoying 
every moment of it as I start to interact with groups again there. So beautiful triumphs of nature. I hope that you're having a wonderful day. I hope you're enjoying all this learning and all this teaching that you're doing every moment. And I'm so grateful to you all for everything you are contributing at all times, helping us all to grow and evolve together on this beautiful paradise planet. And I'll look forward to talking to you more tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite. Someday I will visit New Zealand. Fingers crossed. I hear so many good things about it. <laughs> Sounds beautiful. Hills, animal sanctuaries, eco sanctuaries, amazing. Well, that's, that's going to be the interesting question is that it looks like we've successfully dealt with this thing inside New Zealand and our protection is going to be at the border. So <laughs> it might be a while before you can get here. I think it's going to be a while before I can get anywhere. And actually, I'm quite okay with that. There's a lot to see and do in Canada. We are a huge country, the second largest country. In fact, there's many beautiful places to visit here. I am happy to, uh, I mean, for now, continue to limit my travel within Ottawa as much as possible, <laughs> but uh, focus more on exploring this big, massive, beautiful place that I call home otherwise. Uh, and long term, who knows how this will all unfold. I'll see where I can go in the future, but no rush to leave Canada right now. So you run or, or co-run Ottawa Speculative Futures. What's that about? Yeah, uh, I moved to Ottawa about a year and a half ago, and I started to look for local community groups that I could get involved with, people who were doing things that I thought might uh, give my creative brain space to play with. Uh, and I found this wonderful woman, Louisa G, who had started Ottawa Speculative Futures, and I started going to her events and, and sort of chiming in ideas and concepts and proposing things. And we really hit it off. Uh, and I just have so much time and respect for her that she asked me to eventually be the co-founder and the co-organizer of Ottawa Speculative Futures. And so I happily agreed. And what do we do? What is Ottawa Speculative Futures? It is part of the uh, bigger speculative futures community around the world. So. We're part of a, an international community of speculative futures groups who all come together to put on an annual conference. It's called Primer. Uh, obviously this year it's been transferred and is in an online format, uh, but we, we have people all around the world using different foresight and futures practices to explore different topics at least once a month. Uh, and so we've actually kind of reduced how many uh, gatherings we've been hosting. Louise and I have had two online sessions since uh, everything started unfolding in Canada that both have focused on sort of how people are uh, building their own resilience uh, within the pandemic and then also sort of longer term futures for what they hope to keep, what, what positive things they have encountered and what they hope to keep long term um, from this otherwise fairly strange and at times very uncomfortable experience. So uh, both both sessions have been very positive, very generative, which is exactly what we like to see from a speculative futures group. Um, in fact, we had a, a gentleman from New Zealand join one of our conversations, and I can't remember his actual name, but he runs a group called We Create Futures. Yeah, it, it's, it's so, a very international community. So that was one of my questions. So you just led nicely into it in a way that we might have almost designed it. Of all the positive things that you've seen, the societal things you've seen, what do you think will stick? And what do you hope will stick? Yeah, I mean, those are two very 
big questions, and I'm, I'm definitely also keen to hear your answers on this. Um, I, I think what will stick is uh, sort of a, a more open environment for people to work from home. I know that at least within Canada and especially within the government, that was something that was heavily frowned upon previously. It was deemed, you know, not possible. Government workers need to be in the office. Uh, private sector workers need to be in the office. People have to be in those buildings that have been invested in heavily and built in downtown cores. They need to be in those physical spaces. Uh, but but that's been shown to not be true, and it's actually helped. I, I recognize that for some people it's been a huge challenge and, and has added mental health issues, but for other people it has actually given them a freedom uh, that they would have liked to have had access to earlier. So I, I hope, or I, I think that will stay. What I hope will stay is the really big emphasis that I've seen on community building within cities. There have been uh, community support networks that have popped up to help make sure that people are getting access to food. There have been within within Ottawa at least women who have volunteered to sew masks for free. There have been solidarity groups popping up around fighting for uh, rent relief and opening streets to pedestrians instead of to traffic. There have been all of these sort of community activist groups uh, that have have formed, and I hope I hope that they stay together. Um, I'm, I've gone for the more practical, I think, office remote work will, will continue to be uh, allowed in the future because I think that's a thing that's plausible and I, I hope that community gathering and, and activism continues, but I also recognize that that's something that takes a lot of time and effort and uh, nurturing and once things go back to, if, if they go back to something resembling what it used to be, people might not have the energy or capacity to do as much activism as they currently do now. So I hope they do, but I can't 100% think on it the same way I can with, with remote work. Um, what do you think? What do you uh, think and hope will stay? Well, I'm going to put on Purity Rings Begin Again because that buys me some time to think of my things. <laughs>
Okay, so here's what I think and hope will stay. I think that we've done a lot of these. You're the 38th person we're talking to, so we've been collecting these. Um, I'll go through quickly. Kindness. Kindness has proven to be a thing that is a basis for policy decision-making. It's not just a, that's a nice thing to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it's it's not just, it's it's kind of the well-being, but it's kind of more than well-being. Um, by constraining us, the constraints have also come off. You were saying about all, all of a sudden we thought we had to be in the office and now it turns out we don't have to be in the office. And, and that's, I think that's opened up a whole pile of design thinking um, opportunities. Um, you mentioned the community and I think that there is a real sense of community that has come out of not being able to be physically in a community. Um, Mm -hmm. on that the integration the integration of the economy and society and I don't know how it played out around the rest of the world but it was very clear here that we can't have an economy unless we've got a healthy society Mm. and it's really highlighted the integration of those and that's fundamental to sustainable regenerative practice the understanding of that integration the environment's not so strongly linked in this particular case but the 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 next point is the environment is flourishing Uh, all around the world people are saying things like the wildlife's coming back into the cities so as Mm -hmm. we've slowed down i think and i hope that that we find a way of that uh, that sticking and Conversation and I'm going to include conversation and, and activism as as one that that people are talking about stuff. People are talking about making a difference. People are reaching out. They're connecting. There's my list. That's a great list. That's. A, I wish that I had put more thought into what I said rather than <laughs> rambling through two things. Um, your list was succinct and brilliant. Thank you. 
what do you think we can learn from what we've seen in the the last while for that sustainable, regenerative, thriving, all of those things future, wider than just the the issues of the pandemic? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, I think there are probably a lot of lessons to take um, from this about keeping regenerative and, and or establishing and, and enabling regenerative, uh, strong environments and communities to to flourish. Uh, I think I think having a base level income for people, universal income is one of those foundational things that have has been shown now to be so necessary. Um, access to good, viable housing for everybody uh, has shown to be so important throughout all of this. Uh, I think people have seen that they don't need to travel as much as they may have previously thought they did, and there's plenty to keep uh, keep you busy in your own backyard. I'm I'm aware that my <laughs> dog is making a lot of noise under my bed or under my table. So I'm sorry if you're getting that in the recording. Um, yeah, and, and I, I really think that uh, you mentioned relationships and, and connection. I think that those are going to be so critical outside of the uh, pandemic and outside of what's happening right now for the long term, uh, building building restorative, regenerative, uh, strong, resilient communities. None of this is groundbreaking. Many other people have said it in much more eloquent terms than I have, and I'm sure I've come up with other interesting things as well. There's there's the more sort of strong activist side of me that also wants to just shout for give back the land, like we need to properly decolonize and decarbonize. But uh, I think that there's, I've been moderating myself a little bit more since joining government. I don't shout things quite as loudly as I used to when I was an academic, but decolonize and decarbonize would be, top of the list of things I'd like to see too. Are you wearing a suit? Uh, no, right now I'm wearing a, a sweater and a, a, I think a Lululemon top. I am, I'm in full yuppie work from home mode. <laughs> <laughs> Worn something other than pajamas. I, I have actually, I've, I've committed to fancy Fridays with some of my coworkers just so that at least once per week I am trying to dress as I might if I were still going to the office. I've not fully done it every single Friday for the last nine weeks, but I'm happy to say I've managed it for at least five. Do they make you like prove that it's not just from the top up the top bit? <laughs> uh, thankfully, no. Uh, so I can still wear my sweatpants, but show up in all of my Zoom meetings, uh, all of my Jitsi meet meetings, uh, <laughs> looking fancy. We've had two Canadian songs. Let's have a New Zealand one. What should we have? Jin Wigmore. Oh my.
Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist, observing city life in lockdown. Hello there, bubble people. It's Liesl here, coming at you from my uh, my spot here in the city. And just wanting to um, say hi and check in, see how you're doing. I think it's good to be checking in on people. Um, particularly as we start to go back to a sort of normal at the moment. Um, And it's easy to sort of think, oh, everything's kind of running as normal and um, everyone's okay. And I don't know, for me, I, um, I think that coming back into this sort of space where you're starting to, you know, be around people, talking to people um, in spaces where there are lots of people, it's a bit like reverse culture shock or something like that. You know, I remember when I was um, in my 20s and I went to Korea. I lived there for a few years. And um, I remember when I was getting ready to leave and I was I was sort of really aware of this whole culture shock idea, you know. And um, I didn't really quite know what that meant. But I sort of knew that it meant, you know, you were going to live in another country with a different culture and language. And that might be really, you know, challenging and different because... It's not like what you're used to. That all made a lot of sense to me. Um, And, you know, in lots of ways, I think I was so ready to be culture shocked. I I was so intrigued by the idea that I actually just, you know, I didn't really realise that there was culture shock going on because I was, or maybe I did realise. And so that was something that I was already sort of um, aware of and kind of, I guess, prepared for at some level. Um, although I don't know quite how you prepare for that, but I think I was enjoying what I was seeing unfolding, I guess, with an awareness that that was what was happening. Whereas when I returned to New Zealand um, quite a few years later, I um, 
realized that reverse culture shock was far, far more difficult to deal with, for me anyway. Um, with, with the journey to Korea, although there were lots of challenges and it wasn't easy a lot of the time, I sort of knew that was going to be the case and I uh, prepared kind of accordingly and I, I guess I had an open mind and I was ready for, for things to be different. Um, when I came back to New Zealand, I had not prepared for the fact that I would be coming back to something that I knew, but it was nothing like what I knew, um, or maybe I was nothing like what I'd been when I left. <laughs> so there was changes that had happened, but they were subtle. So it was a, a very sort of, dis, I guess, a, a sort of an unsettling um, experience coming back to a place that I knew and I felt was home and my family was here and good friends were here and I, uh, I loved Dunedin so I was coming back to Dunedin and yet I felt for almost a year I think like I didn't belong here and that I didn't understand and that things were weird and that, that it was the the strangest sort of like um, familiarity with with a sense of being a complete stranger and I think in some ways coming back into sort of these different you know levels and coming back to level two where things are opening up and we are getting a sense of normal um, about our lives yet it's not the same as it was before and I think that can be deeply unsettling for people because it appears quite similar on the surface but we've all experienced something different and and we're coming back to something a bit different. So it's it's important that you check in with yourself and with other people because the normal that is existing now, yeah, looks a lot like the old one, but a little bit like my uh, culture shock story. I think it's sometimes so much harder coming back to what you know, but it's not what you know, than launching into something that's completely unknown and different and weird and you just know that that's what you're what you're rocking up for that's what you're signing up for so um yeah i hope we're all just taking care of ourselves and others and be gentle be kind and uh and we will continue to check in with each other so i hope you have a lovely afternoon and take care out there Do you do anything like that? Do you do a fancy Friday or do you do? No, we're doing, um, no, work hasn't done anything like that. We just got so many requests for gin o'clock meetings and for, <laughs> for wine day Friday and whatever else that, frankly, I've stopped going to them because I can't be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like this is a, a very strong academic thing that keeps happening because the only Wine Fridays, the only gin night things that I have been invited to have been with my academic colleagues. There have been a couple with the folks in Lancaster, which have been actually ragers, uh, which I was not expecting to <laughs> participate in online from the comfort of my home. But uh, there's there's another quasi-positive, not the alcoholism part of it, but at least the connecting with folks that I used to work with. <laughs> I talked to Marie yesterday. Marie, oh, Marie Angela? Yeah. Oh, that's great. How's she doing? Yeah, she's doing really well. 
And, and she's, it sounds like they've got her teaching lots of sort of 100-level stuff, and so she's just going through that slog of, of, of doing all that and, and trying, trying to work on values things. That's a challenge uh, in a 100-level course or in a graduate student course. Uh, I, I made sure that I integrated some ethics and sort of security and privacy discussions throughout my undergrad course that I taught, my introduction to a UX course that I taught last semester, but then in my graduate student class I wanted to, which was all about data protection and privacy rights management, um, I wanted to talk with them about ethical considerations, but I asked, you know, how many of you have thought about this before? How many of you had any sort of discussions about this in your technical classes before? And none of them at the graduate level had had any experience discussing these types of issues. So it there was there was a very steep learning curve to have complex conversations, to have basic level conversations. In yeah. fact. Um, still something that we all need to work on in our, our computing education curriculum. So I have some questions to end with, which you've had before on Sustainable Lens, but I'm going to ask them anyway. Okay. You don't have to say the same things you said before, even if you could remember. <laughs> What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's a great question. And it will have changed since I spoke with you on Sustainable Lens. Uh, I finished my PhD three Yay! months early. Which, yeah, I, I take that as a huge win. And then uh, I, you know, I bounced around for a little bit after that and was trying to sort of figure out what I wanted to do with myself. But then I ended up in Ottawa and I currently have my dream job and I'm living in a, a queer housing cooperative. I'm volunteering with groups that I adore. So I, I feel like I'm currently living my best life and getting my PhD and finishing it when I did sort of allowed me to cultivate this life. So I, I feel definitely like the, the early PhD completion um, was, a, was a huge success. What did you find? What's the tweaked version of your PhD? Yeah, my, the tweaked version of my PhD is uh, the environmental footprint of digital technologies is massive, uh, continually growing, and needs some regulation fast. And there are ways to do that. Let's make some change. <laughs> Yay! So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes, the collection of people doing good work. So you're on our mansion. What's your superpower? <laughs> I, again, I don't remember what I think my superpower was uh, <laughs> back when I last spoke with you, but I'm pretty sure my superpower is uh, the ability to laugh at myself. I'm, I think that's a pretty good superpower. I'm able to, even in situations that get really, really tense, manage to find a way to just mock myself and not take myself very seriously. Um, I'll say that for now. I, I'm going to regret that at some point. I'm going to wish that I'd said my superpower is, I don't know, the ability to break down glass ceilings for women in computing or something a lot more serious. But. <laughs> so you've talked a little bit about this. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? I have long considered myself to be an activist, yes. Um, I, I do think I am less of an activist now working for the government. Um, I can't go out and protest in the same way that I previously would have been able to. I can't, uh, you know, actively sign petitions in the way that I might want, want to. Um, however, I am able to 
get my activism. I'm able to um, perform my activism in, in different, more subtle ways. For example, I'm in a queer housing co-op. It was uh, Ottawa's first queer housing co-op. We offer uh, subsidized living spaces. We offer intentional spaces for people with HIV and AIDS and, and other medical conditions that otherwise would have troubles uh, accessing safe housing and affordable housing right in Ottawa's downtown core. Um, I, I have a job that relates to preserving people's human rights in a way. Privacy is a, is a right here and, and I get to help people protect that. Um, and so the, the, I sort of get my activism out in those more subtle ways versus showing up at protests and, and signing petitions and doing things more overtly as like I used to. Are you an activist still? I think so. I'd like to think so. Yeah. Um, in that my work is all about helping people make diff make changes. Yeah, that's as good of a definition of what an activist is as any. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the flippant response that first jumped into my head was cheese curds. I now live <laughs> cheese, cheese curds and maple syrup uh, based on where I'm living now in Canada. I have access to these things in abundance and I'm so thrilled. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but probably more practically, uh, I still just think there's so much work to do and I am in a very, very fortunate position to... Uh, influenced areas of, of public policy and um, practice within the, the city of Ottawa. And I, I feel like I have enough of a reason to keep pursuing those goals that are sort of mandated by my, my work and my volunteer and my living situations that uh, that will keep me getting out of bed for a very long time. In addition to the cheese curds and maple syrup, which, oh, yum. <laughs> so what challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years? Oh, <laughs> that's a that's another great question. Um, oh, okay, yeah, challenge. Um, probably the the challenge that I'm I'm looking forward most to navigating in the next couple of years is figuring out how to train my puppy because while he is a very good boy and uh, sits generally on command and is already potty trained, there many things that I need to work with him on and that is uh, I've never had a puppy before I've always adopted older dogs um, so this is my first time trying to train one from scratch and it is a challenge I now have a very small insight into how people with children deal with <laughs> everything that involved that is involved with parenting um, and yikes wow I have even more respect than I did before for people who have raised little little babies and many little puppies so poof that's my challenge. So lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Oh, um, okay. So, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll give the advice, which maybe I did include in the last sustainable lens. I'm not sure it's my go-to advice for everything and it's don't make tea out of toilet water. Um, but then also more, more practically, uh, support essential workers, support each other, support yourself uh, as much as you possibly can. Not only now during these uh, difficult times, but especially, especially after once we're into something more resembling what normal used to be. Thank you very much for joining me. 
Thank you for having me, Sam. I'm sorry if I rambled a, a couple of times. This has been so much fun chatting with you. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook as well. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay and today I've been joined by Vanessa Thomas in Ottawa. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.